Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On this week's Science Revolution, how do we stop authoritarians like Trump and Bolsonaro from killing more people in this pandemic? Trump and Bolsonaro, the presidents of the United States and Brazil, are essentially refusing to do anything consequential about an epidemic that is killing massive numbers of their own country's citizens. Bill Fries drops by. He's the science policy analyst with the Center for Food Safety on the newly finalized federal regulations on GMOs. And beyond nuclear's Paul Gunter also drops by on how America is unprepared for a nuclear accident during this pandemic. Stay tuned. How do we stop them from killing more people? Them specifically, I'm talking about Donald Trump and Jair Bolsonaro. The epicenter now for the world for this pandemic has moved from the United States to the United States and Brazil. We are the two countries where this thing is completely out of control and or largely out of control. In the United States, you could say state by state, but in Brazil, it's like, woo, it's totally out of control. And these two guys are essentially refusing to do anything consequential about an epidemic that is killing massive numbers of their own country's citizens. And for this, in my opinion, Bolsonaro and Trump should be brought before the International Criminal Court at The Hague and charged with crimes against humanity. I mean, to compound the situation here, Trump is now ridiculing people who wear masks, including Joe Biden. Wearing masks is one of the most simple, low-cost, effective ways to slow down the spread of the pandemic and to reduce the number of dead people. But Trump doesn't want to smear his makeup, and so he's suggesting to his insecure white male followers that wearing a mask somehow makes a man seem less manly. He's also refusing to do anything about testing at the national level other than ordering some swabs, which are not tests and they're not test kits. They're just swabs. This isn't just an abrogation of his duties as president. In my humble opinion, this is a crime. It is intentional disinformation, this this, uh, squawking about masks that he's doing. It is intentional disinformation being put forward purely for political purposes, and it is and will continue to kill people. Even worse was his ignoring and lying about the the coming pandemic when he was first informed of it back in November and December. Trump and Bolsonaro knew this thing was coming, both of them from their own intelligence agencies, and if they didn't want to believe their intelligence agencies, they could read the damn newspaper, at least in December. I mean, this is when China said, hey, we've we've got a problem here. That was December. And then they could have said, you know, well, let's say, okay, January or February or March. Well, eventually Trump did something in March. Bolsonaro still hasn't done anything to the best of my knowledge. But for two and a half, three months, 
They didn't even have to look at their own intelligence or look at what was going on in China. They could read the news or watch television about what was happening in Spain and Italy. And to a smaller extent in France and then later in the UK. But it really hit Spain and Italy first in a big way. The virus mutated there, so now we can identify the European version as opposed to the Asian version. The Asian version proliferates up and down the U.S. West Coast, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. The European version is all over the eastern seaboard and down to Florida. And then, of course, you know, spring break spread it all across the Midwest. And that's that's going all over the country. And in both cases, either one of those could have been stopped But Donald Trump did nothing, and now the same thing is happening in Brazil with Jair Bolsonaro. You know, you've got countries from Taiwan to New Zealand to Norway that have gotten the virus under control. Many of these countries, New Zealand and Australia, talking about eliminating the virus altogether. Not a single person in the hospital in New Zealand right now. They've only had seven deaths in the same period of time that we've had over, we've had 100,000 Seven deaths. That's it. Not only do they not have somebody on a ventilator, not only do they not have somebody in an ICU in New Zealand, they don't even have a person, not one person, in the hospital with COVID-19. And Trump and Bolsonaro, they did worse than nothing by spreading lies and disinformation, by sending us off, chasing down rabbit holes of hydroxychloroquine, warm weather, or it's going to go away when the summer comes, or whatever, as this virus exploded through our populations. Many of the families of people here who have died of COVID-19 in the United States have considered suing Trump, but it's nearly impossible to sue a sitting president. And Bill Barr has made it clear that the Justice Department will not hold Trump accountable for anything, up to and including, as they argued before the Supreme Court, Trump could murder somebody on Fifth Avenue. He could reload the gun and start to get ready to shoot somebody else. And you would not be able to stop him. You would not be able to try him. You would not be able to investigate him because he's the president, don't you know? This is the Bill Barr doctrine. So you think we're going to hold him accountable for encouraging behavior that is killing Americans indirectly by a virus? I mean, we actually have stories now of people walking into supermarkets and other public places and spitting on people or coming up close and breathing on people. Or this one woman, she, she, you know, $35,000 worth of vegetables had to be replaced because she was spitting on them in the supermarket and screaming that she had the virus. A few of these are just nutty people. I mean, they would otherwise be standing on the street corner talking about the aliens coming or 5G is going to scramble their brains or whatever. But this has now metastasized into the Trumpiverse, into the people who are listening to right-wing hate radio and watching Fox News and aggressively not wearing masks, aggressively coming up on people. Why? Because of Trump. We have people here in the United States who can't sue him, yet are the victims of his criminal malfeasance. And the rest of the world, victims of the United States and Brazil. I mean, the rest of the world is looking at us in horror. And Brazil is still exporting people. Yes, Trump stopped planes coming from Brazil to the United States yesterday or the day before. So what? 
We have a worse epidemic than they do. I mean, they're catching up with us fast, but this is mind boggling. We have the United States and Brazil. It was an amazing op-ed by Gideon Rockman, who is like one of the best financial reporters in the world over at the Financial Times yesterday. If you have a Financial Times subscription, you can read it. And I know a lot of these papers, the Financial Times, the Washington Post, the New York Times, have made a lot of their COVID-19 coverage outside the paywall, so you can still read it. You may be able to, I'm not sure, but just check out FT.com and see if Gideon Rockman's piece is up there. And he's talking about how he went to Brazil last year, and he was talking with one of the country's leading economists. And Rockman, I believe, is British. But he made some comment about Donald Trump, and this economist said, no, we've got it worse here. Jair Bolsonaro is actually more stupid than Trump. And Rockman was like, you know, Trump is like legendarily stupid. And this guy was like, no, you know, the the highest, you know, Trump actually ran a multimillion dollar enterprise. He might have run it badly, but he ran it. Jair Bolsonaro, the highest level of accomplishment of his entire life was being a captain in the army. He's an idiot. So now the U.S. and Brazil have become the uncontrolled epicenters for a worldwide explosion of disease. And therefore, I think, if this is the most effective way to stop these guys from killing their own people and threatening the planet, that Donald Trump and his mini-Trump, Jair Bolsonaro, should be brought before the criminal court, the International Criminal Court at The Hague, and indicted and convicted for crimes against humanity. What do you think? You think it's possible? Sponsoring the interview this week is New Leaf Natural CBD Oil. Boy, with all this flying around, you know, I have been doubling my CBD oil dose. I love CBD oil. It doesn't get you high, but it, and it's non-toxic, but it's a potent pain reliever and anti, or it has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. I think it's the proper way to say that. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. NU Leaf Natural CBD Oil is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, has no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's NUleafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. Go to NUleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, NUleafnaturals.com. That's NUleafnaturals.com. That's NUleafnaturals.com. Code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. NUleafnaturals.com. Back in the day, back, you know, some, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that, I wrote an op-ed, which I just retweeted, it was on Truthout, about a genetically modified organism that almost got into the wild. And were it not for a, a university professor in Washington State by the name of Elaine Ingham, or actually one of her students, it may well have done some serious damage. There's a bacteria that is on the roots of every plant basically in the world. It's called Klebsiella planticola. It's ubiquitous. It's, it's everywhere. It helps plants convert nutrients in the soil or in the water into plant material. And, and somebody came up with a brilliant idea of, hey, this bacteria is everywhere. Let's create a genetically modified version of it that will convert cellulose, because this bacteria was capable of digesting cellulose, that will convert cellulose into alcohol. And then we can take all this waste cellulose, you know, like the, the wheat stalks and things, just throw them in giant bins, 
toss in some genetically modified Klebsiella and it'll produce gasoline, it'll produce ethanol and everything will be wonderful. And they were about to test this out in public, in a public field in Washington state. And this student for part of his master's thesis or his PhD thesis decided to look into this and what they discovered was that the genetically modified version that would convert plant matter into alcohol was capable of living in the wild, was capable of reproducing in the wild, and had it spread across the planet, it would have killed every plant on earth, or at least a large chunk of them, by feeding them with alcohol instead of water. It was a big deal back in the late 90s. It led to a lot of concern about genetically modified organisms. Now, this is not quite that drastic, but we're looking at super weeds. I mean, there's all kinds of issues around GMOs right now. And Bill Fries is with us. He's the science policy analyst with the Center for Food Safety. Centerforfoodsafety.org is the website. Bill, I understand that the Trump administration is trying to further loosen regulations on GMOs, on genetically modified organisms. Tell us about this. And by the way, welcome to the program. It's really interesting. The Trump USDA just released final regulations for this kind of overhaul of the GMO regulatory system. It was first instituted back in the 80s, and it hasn't had a major change since then. And without going into too much detail, there was initially around 2004, there was some, you know, initial moves towards strengthening the regulations because USDA had gained additional authority. But there were several false starts that never happened. And so now here we are in 2020, 16 years later, with something that's completely opposite of what was originally intended, right? Which is, as you said, much weaker rather than stronger regulations. What could be the consequences uh, of this, Bill? From our perspective, it's 2020 now, and we've had GMOs for like 25 years commercially. And we're seeing problems that weren't so evident in the beginning when these crops were first introduced. And the main thing is, you know, you mentioned super weeds. Well, those super weeds are weeds that are resistant to glyphosate herbicide, better known as Roundup, but also other herbicides too. So they're really, really hard to control. And they've only really come on in a big way since the GMO era, because almost all GMOs are herbicide resistant, right? And so they allow farmers to spray herbicides very freely without worrying about damaging the crop. What we've seen is a big increase in herbicide use that's more selection pressure on weeds to evolve resistance to these herbicides. And it's become one of the major problems in agriculture now, these super weeds. Well, some of the additional authority that USDA gained has to do with addressing noxious weed issues related to GMOs, right? Noxious is Mm. just a fancy word for bad or or terrible, right? And sure enough, we have these weeds, you know, and we need either prohibitions or at the very least restrictions on these herbicide-resistant GMOs in order to address this problem. But USDA doesn't want to address the problem. My understanding is that it's not just that the proliferation of or the widespread use of things like glyphosate, herbicides, plant killers, are producing an evolutionary pressure that favors the plants that are resistant to that particular herbicide, but that in the lab, in the process of developing Roundup-resistant 
soybeans, Roundup-resistant corn, you know, whatever it may be. I guess it's BT corn, the Bacillus thermophilus is the, the thing in the corn, but whatever. In the process of doing this, they're actually doing this by inserting that resistance into the genome of the GMO food plant and that that portion of that gene is capable of jumping into weeds in the wild. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, you know, there are two ways that this herbicide resistance can, can create problems, right? And you described them both perfectly. You know, one way is if it's a plant that cross-pollinates widely and, and it has relatives in the wild, you know, which some crops do, then you can have just the problem that you talked about with the herbicide resistance gene going from the crop to a relative, a weedy relative, right? And that can create resistance. But, you know, most of our problems haven't been from that because like corn and soybeans, the major crops that are herbicide resistant, they don't really have these weedy relatives. And it really has been from this herbicide selection pressure. And that doesn't make it less of a problem. You know, the thing to keep in mind is that like with glyphosate, there were hardly any glyphosate resistant weeds before these Roundup Ready crops were introduced as these Roundup Ready GMOs that are resistant to the herbicide. That was in the mid-90s, hardly any at all. And now they're on about 120 million acres of cropland. And it's because the glyphosate-resistant weeds, right, which have become so epidemic, they create problems for farmers. And so what does the you know, seed pesticide industry come up with as a, as a false solution? It's New other newer crops that have resistance <laughs> to different herbicides, right? And so they sell right. that to farmers as, oh, you have glyphosate-resistant weeds? Well, now you can spray dicamba or 2,4-D or some other herbicide because we've made the crops resistant to those as well. I'm wondering what the average person, you know, somebody who's listening or watching this program right now can do about this. Center for Food Safety, we do a lot of work on this, policy issues, and we're trying as hard as we can on one issue is to get labeling, meaningful labeling of GMOs. And that would give people the opportunity to say, hey, I don't want to buy these foods. And there is a federal law passed, but it hasn't been. Uh, it, it's not very good. We're trying to you know, work with, through the system to try to get it to be a little more meaningful. So that's the consumer yes. applying market pressure. What about political pressure? Our organization, we have action alerts. You can check out our website, and we're always getting folks opportunities to email or call their legislators or regulators to get change. Great. It's Center for FOR, centerforfoodsafety.org. Bill Fries is the science policy analyst. Bill, thanks so much for dropping by today. Great. Thanks, Tom. Tom Harbin here with you, and on the line with us is our old buddy Paul Gunter with Beyond Nuclear. He is the director of the Reactor Oversight Project at Beyond Nuclear, beyondnuclear.org, of course, the website, and Beyond Nuclear, the Twitter handle. Paul, welcome back to the program. I understand that you have been writing about and documenting a lack of preparedness at our nuclear plants around the country, not so much in the context of the kinds of disasters we've discussed before, you know, floods and things like that, but of this virus of COVID-19. Do I have that right? That's exactly spot on. The concern is that here we are in the Washington, D.C. area. We're all on lockdown where the populations are essentially sheltering in place. You know, the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission is on the one hand 
they are relaxing requirements, licensing obligations for the nuclear power plant operators so that they can run these plants least cost under the guise of protecting workers from exposure to COVID. This is the same time a number of these plants have got up to 1,800 new workers coming in to refuel. So on the one hand, the NRC is supporting the production agenda for U.S. nuclear power industry by allowing these crews, which are coming in from all over the country to the United States, to proceed in these crowded conditions for refueling. And at the same time, they're relaxing requirements for work hour control to keep fatigue down. You know, now operators can go for 12-hour shifts up to two weeks straight. And that's relaxation from the requirements in the operating license. And at the same time, they're ignoring the fact that if there were an accident at nuclear power station, that evacuation is no longer really a viable option. We're here. I mean, we would need to evacuate. Clearly, that would be the preferable option. But going into a pandemic situation really doesn't, it's an impossible choice. You're safe neither here nor there. So, uh, you know, we just yeah, it's had like a what we, It's like what we Michigan. saw with these uh with these people in Midland, Michigan, where you had the, all that horrible flooding and, and all of a sudden they're having to, you know, they've lost their homes and so they're, they're hanging out in high school gymnasiums and things. And meanwhile, the virus is circulating like crazy. You know, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks down the road, you're gonna start seeing deaths as a result of that. Are you suggesting that the practices that the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is allowing are going to lead to, you know, the spread of this virus inside these nuclear power plants? And have we seen any evidence of that so far? The folks in around uh, Midland, Michigan, they were put in a situation there where the floodwaters were rising rapidly. I, I, I need to note that Midland, Michigan, is also the home of a Dow Chemical Research Reactor, which we saw went on a notification that they were expecting flood conditions on site at the Dow Chemical Triga reactor. Now, this is not a commercial power reactor. It's a much smaller reactor, but there's lots of high-level nuclear waste on that site. As the floodwaters were coming in, that didn't trigger a full-fledged alert at the Triga reactor, but the flood did. And, you know, a lot of people chose not to go into those high school gymnasiums, but they slept in their cars. Now, that's not an option in the event of a nuclear accident. We're very concerned with this situation. The alarm that you're raising, Paul, entirely appropriately, is here's a precarious situation that could get bad really fast. Do we have any evidence yet that it has anywhere? There have been no actions that have prompted any kind of alert at a commercial nuclear power station. But like I said, Tom, 
the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission is relaxing safety standards around nuclear power stations. They're working operators, security guards, fire brigades at these power stations in overtime. Remember that the three mile island accident on March 28, 1979, was the combination of mechanical failure and operator error caused by fatigue. And uh, that's right. exactly the kind of perfect storm that we're setting up right now. Populations that are sheltering in place around most communities around these nuclear power stations and relaxing operating license conditions. This includes inspections, repairs that are scheduled under the operating license for safety-related equipment like steam generator tubes, where they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be inspecting these things 100% on a calendar date. Calendar date on a number of these reactors has fallen during the COVID pandemic. And so these inspections have now been postponed until the next refueling outage 18 months away, which means this equipment is not getting inspected. It's not getting repaired if need be. And, you know, on February 15th, 1999, we had just such an, an event at the Indian Point Unit 2 reactor, 25 miles from New York City, the NRC gave Consolidated Edison, then the operator, a 12-month deferral on a steam generator tube inspection. And into that deferral, um, the, on February 15th, they blew a steam generator tube that caused a radioactive release. This was one tube burst, hmm. but these steam generators are anywhere from six to 10,000 tubes in each generator that can cause a cascading effect of failure if one or two or three of these tubes rupture. That's why these inspections are calendared and why they're required. But we've got four reactors right now that have deferred these inspections. At the same time, they're working the operators harder, which puts the risk of an operator error occurring in the event of a mechanical failure. And a lot of these operators are older people too, because Simpsons and everything else, this is not the hippest job to have these days. Paul Gunter with beyondnuclear.org. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Tom. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader